everyone, and welcome to a special edition of a Power Perspectives podcast from Energy Central. I'm your host, D.W. Kiefer, along with Matt Chester, Energy Central's Community Manager. Hi, Matt. Hi, D.W. Thanks for kicking off this special edition of the podcast. Uh, as a driver of an electric vehicle myself, I'm excited to hear from today's guest and see where the EV sector is heading in the next couple of years. Cool. Let's get going. So in this episode, Matt and I are going to be talking with Ben Marcou, Executive Advisor at ChargeHub. Ben is an active member of the Energy Central community. He designs, finances, and manages some of the systems and services that really are at the heart of the transformation of the telecom and energy industries. He's managed the largest smart meter installation programs in Canada, and more recently, he's been helping utilities benefit from the accelerating pace of electric vehicle adoption by leveraging the Charge Hub Central platform. With the Charge Hub Central EV Charging Management System, utilities can manage EV charging customers, services, and assets wherever drivers go and across the many charging operators in their territory. In a recent post at Energy Central, Ben shared how EV charging is helping utilities become what he refers to as mobility enablers. Just like gas stations that offer so much more than fuel for your vehicle, Utilities are learning how electric vehicles can help them improve the customer experience and their own business value proposition. Hi, Ben, and welcome. Hi, DW. How are you today? Great, just fine. So I'd like to begin by asking you to walk us through your idea that a major value creation opportunity really can be found in the fact that residential EV charging responds well to price signals and can help drive time of use or dynamic electricity tariffs. What do you think? Well, uh, the real-world experience of utilities with high penetration of light-duty EVs shows that EV charging brings additional revenue to utilities that vastly exceeds the cost to generate and to deliver that energy. In other words, EV charging puts downward pressures on electricity rates, not only for EV drivers, but for all ratepayers. So that's good. It is, in fact, a lot of money there for utilities, their shareholders, and their ratepayers. For example, Avista, the utility in the Northwest, has estimated that the net present value to ratepayers of a single EV on its system is about $1,200 without managed charging. But if we're shifting charging off-peak, that brings this up to $1,600 per vehicle. So, in fact, the net value to utility ratepayers of a new EV can often be higher than the gross margin earned by the car dealers who sold it. That's quite amazing when you think about it. This optimism may come as a surprise given concerns that many have expressed over the ability of the grid to support EVs, but really, it, it is not the case in real life. In California, with very high EV penetration, otherwise low, uh, average residential load, and high clustering of EVs. So those all those are bad conditions, really. But just a mere 0.15% of EVs required a service line or distribution system upgrade, 0.15%, and that's very small. And uh, California does not yet uh, rely on time of use or their strategies to shift the EV charging loads at a large scale. Uh -huh. So overall, it's good. 
mm -hmm. EVs are good for utilities. So what do you think some of the factors could be that help explain the value creation of EV charging? Are there, are there uh, some factors that you can, you can point to? Yeah. Obviously, if everybody would be charging their EVs at the same second, mm -hmm. that might be a problem. But this is just not the case. Owners of modern long-range EVs tend to charge at home only every two or three days. In fact, this is recommended by manufacturers. And when they do charge, it's you know, not always on peak, but quite often off-peak. Mm -hmm. So also, uh, there is a surprisingly high number of EV drivers that charge from a standard 120-volt you know, outlet called level one charging. That's mm -hmm. very slow. Uh, it would take, you know, it takes for just about forever to, uh, you know, if you have an empty battery to fill it up. But again, in real life, it's more than enough for daily commute. So many people just do that. There's, there are other mitigating factors, like everybody thinks about home charging with EVs, but mm -hmm. more and more drivers, uh, those that don't have access to home charging, will charge at their workplace or will charge at public stations. And that, again, diversifies the load curve. And that explains why EVs overall are good for utilities. Obviously, EVs are adding to the local load, just like this, you know, in a neighboring domain, space heating is, is getting electrified as well. So that adds local load. But the reality is that the average load on uh, distribution transformers uh, used in residential neighborhoods is actually quite low in the range typically of 25 to 30% of their rating. So there's quite a bit of room to grow and utilities aren't that worried. That is, managing growth is what utilities did to get us where we are. So that's their DNA overall. Mm -hmm. The National Academy of Science has said that the electrical grid is a key engineering achievement of the 20th century. It got there by being built by utilities who've managed loads over years. Right, exactly. Ben, can I ask about your perception of how in the weeds is this in terms of for customers and are they aware of the benefits that it brings to the grid or to the utilities? Are they aware of that? Is there educational efforts that need to be made? Or does it not even matter if they're aware what their motivation is if they're just buying the EVs? Well, yeah. This gets to be a rather complex issue to get into regulatory settings and our rates are set in most places in, in North America. So EV drivers are probably not aware of that. Do you see the benefit through rebates and incentive that utilities provide to EV drivers, they see that, but most of them, I would guess, do not realize that it's actually good for all ratepayers. That'd be my guess. Obviously, EV drivers, they do gain from having EVs in, you know, in lower maintenance and operating costs. EVs are fun to drive, and they probably feel good about uh, reducing their greenhouse gas emissions and other harmful emissions. But, you know, this is really a different value proposition than um, what flows to utilities. Yeah. Well, that, let me ask you to talk a little bit about how electric vehicles are changing the relationship between utilities and their customers. 
you know, it used to be that utilities generated electricity and sent it out to their end users. It's very much a one-way street. EVs seem to be changing that relationship. Can you share some of the reasons why an EV is different than uh, than any other kind of an appliance that um, an end user would uh, would plug in and start using? Really, ratepayers today, they largely interact with the utilities for outages and billing issues. That's when they call. That's not exactly great for utilities, but really compare this to how engaged drivers of um, gasoline cars are. You know, they'll drive out of their way, literally, to pay less for gasoline. They'll follow your loyalty programs and they use coupons and the gas stations have become mini-marts. Clearly, motorists are deeply engaged with gasoline providers. Now, in offering EV charging or supporting EV charging, the utilities are effectively becoming mobility enablers. They are enabling people to go out and visit friends and family, to go to work, to go shopping, all these things that we like to do. Those consumers, those EV drivers, now make a conscious decision to interact with the utility every time they plug in their vehicle. It's one way that EV charging is enabling stronger customer engagement. It's interesting because EV driving, EV charging, brings a whole series of um, new touch points for utilities. And the leading utilities are responding to that. They offer robust education, outreach, and assistance programs. Uh, Those start right on the dealer lot. You know, some will vet electrical contractors for home installation. They'll partner with charging station site hosts, all along with the idea of boosting value for their customers. Actually, we're starting to see in some emerging cases the um, elements of funds being added there. The gamification potential of EV charging and driving is very, very high, and some um, utilities and automakers are are starting to use that. Also, EV charging, even own charging, has um, side effects that are quite interesting. Like, it's a great reason, if you're charging at home, it's a great reason for you to opt into time of use rates. Now, mm-hmm. uh, about half of people in North America have access to a time of use rates right now. But once you have a time of use rates, it makes a lot of sense for you to set your EV so it charges at night or at some off-peak time, you know, maybe in the middle of the day if you're in California or southern United States when there's a lot of sun. And that means that suddenly you're charging your EV for very little. And people actually are reacting to that. They are doing it. It actually locks in people into time of use because now that they've started charging off-peak, going back to a flat rate instead of a time of use rate, it's very expensive. So you're actually locking in people to time of use, which then incite these people to adopt more efficient use of energy. Uh, You know, they'll program their dishwasher to start later and that sort of things. So there's a lot of indirect effect that come with EV charging at home. 
Yeah, Ben, I'm wondering, you mentioned automakers just briefly, and I wonder if we could talk a little bit more about that. And and I'm wondering to what extent uh, is some of the change being driven by car manufacturers like Tesla or GM, or, or even by non-traditional power actors that have uh, that have emerged in recent years like Google, Microsoft, and others? How much are, are utilities driving the move towards uh, EVs and supporting EVs? And how much is, is coming from the outside, do you think, from outside of the traditional um, electricity sector? It's interesting. Well, there's a lot of factors pushing for EVs, such as government climate policies, people wanting to do their part, and uh, the great fun uh, in driving an EV. Utilities have their own driving factors. They, for them, it's largely a question of doing the right thing for ratepayers through a downward pressure on rates and stronger customer engagement. Uh, it's also to get the utilities growing again and to expand with uh, the new business opportunity like public AV charging networks. Now, another aspect that is interesting, though, is that the, the goals of utilities are very much aligned, really, with the, uh, the goals of leading uh, automakers that are quickly charging into the EV sphere. Tesla, Volkswagen, GM, for example, come to mind very quickly. All these have very robust uh, EV programs, some Koreans. And uh, so it's actually aligned. This points to a new reality for utilities is that is they will have to work with stakeholders along the entire value chain that they never had to work with before, at least never had to work with a traditional utility customer relationship. Now, they'll have to work with EV charging networks providers. Uh, they'll need to work with site owners. They'll need to work with uh, automakers uh, starting on the deal or not. So those are new relationships that utilities need to develop in order to be successful in the um, EV ecosystem. Ben, we've been speaking pretty generically about utilities, but certainly there are multiple business models in the sector. Do you see a difference in how market opportunities are perceived and pursued between, say, an investor-owned utility and a cooperative? Are there any standards at this point in time, or is it still pretty much early days for everyone? Can you comment on that? Well, that's an issue with the regulatory environment. There are 52 states, 10 provinces. Each of them has its own regulatory environment. And even within a state or a province, not every utility will be uh, regulated the same way. An investor-owned utility may not be regulated the same way as a municipality-owned utility. So there's a lot of variability. You know, the policies are different, and that translates into different regulatory requirements. Uh, Texas and Alberta have a retail market that prevent the distribution utilities from selling energy. That's not the case in, in most other states and provinces. So it, it, there's a lot of variability. Um, so while we can draw some broad conclusions, in practice, what a utility, as well as other stakeholders in the EV uh, ecosystem, may or may not do in a state or province really has to be looked at for each jurisdiction. 
And Ben, I think that when you say that there are 52 states, you're you're counting uh, District of Columbia and Puerto Rico as uh, as states, which takes us to 52. But then we might need to subtract, I think, Nebraska, which doesn't regulate utilities. So we might be at 51 if the math is. There. <laughs> well, and, I guess no regulation is a uh, is a form of regulation. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> we can debate that another time. <laughs> It's actually interesting when um, when you look at the uh, utilities in North America, there are 3,500 of them in North America. The vast majority of utilities in North America are owned by uh, municipalities. They're, they tend to be smaller than the large investor-owned utilities or the large provincial utilities in Canada. But still, in terms of number of utilities, it's by far the most common case. But that brings an interesting aspect now because this ties into the smart city phenomenon mm -hmm. those uh, municipal utilities are you know they tend to be very close to their constituents the mayors there have a lot of say and many of them effectively own their utility and some of those municipal utilities are very strong proponents of ev and ev charging they're deploying ev charging infrastructure um, by themselves or through partnership with EV charging networks. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to see how we'll, we'll continue to see uh, the influence of local, uh, local jurisdictions, municipalities, and co-ops, how that will affect the EV uh, infrastructure deployment. Exactly. And I'm wondering, you bring up the point about smart cities, and I'm interested in this notion of the, the intersection where electrification meets distributed energy, meets actionable analytics and smart cities and all of that. And I'm wondering uh, what your sense is, to, to what extent do utilities need to revise their business model at all in order to realize this potential role working at this at this intersection of uh, distributed energy analytics smart cities and all of that what's your sense there and how do, how do evs then fit into that well utilities will need to adopt new skills with evs coming uh, online first it's a great news as we said it's a great news for utilities it's a great news for rate payers uh, but it does require new relationships with stakeholders that utilities didn't have to have relationships before. Oh, that's okay. But now how can they do that? They'll need to actually develop new skills. For example, a good practice for utilities is when they provide an incentive to install AV charging infrastructure, um, like make ready sites, for example they should always request session level charging data from the network charging operator. Why? Because first, their ratepayers are paying for that subsidy. Uh, second, it then helps them to assess um, if there is excess uh, offer, if there's not enough offer, there's too much demand, and then plan uh, for more charging stations, perhaps plan for um, grid extensions. So it's, it's essential, that's the best practice, get the data, get access to charging data. And obviously that means that now you, you've got all of this data and you need to have a system that can help you manage. Uh, another um, source of data that utilities never had before, before EVs, 
is EV drivers. Uh, EV drivers are tend to be very passionate about driving. Uh, they are very chatty. They provide a lot of feedback to um, charging station owners, site owners, and uh, they take pictures, they complain, uh, they, and all of that unstructured data uh, can actually be analyzed by utilities to understand what works well and what doesn't work so well. Understand that the public charging infrastructure is a key enabler for EVs. Now, if you have one, however, now you have to start managing it. And uh, with loads, uh, you know, a car is just an appliance on wheels that moves around. Well, that's unusual for an appliance. Now you have to manage that roaming appliance and the, the customer, the driver is driving it. So that again, it's a new source of data. It's a new uh, opportunity for utilities to understand the behavior of their customers. Uh, but you need to have the tools in order to do that, obviously. And those tools, those skill sets are um, are not developed right now um, you know, in utilities. Matt, I think you've got a question. Yeah, so Ben, when you look towards you know, smart cities of the future and, and what cities can do with data and specifically EV data today, are there any specific cities or municipalities that, that jump out as having been leaders in this movement, maybe creating you know, a roadmap or a good example for others to follow? Mm, well, uh, probably New York City comes to mind immediately. They've just contracted for to install a couple hundred, I think, of uh, for uh, chargers along the streets. So that is great for people that do not have access to home charging, and there's a lot of people. So that's just one example. Uh, but um, uh, the city of Toronto comes to mind as well. So it, there's a, quite a few that are experimenting now with EVs. They, they want to increase the number of EVs because, if nothing else, because it makes the, the city healthier. So they, and the charging infrastructure is, is, a, is a key point, um, is a key factor in uh, getting people to buy EVs. Hey, Ben, I'm going to ask you to take out your crystal ball for a minute and uh, take a look ahead a few years to 2030 and uh, talk a little bit about uh, what you think the most progressive utilities will look like and how they may think differently about the utility customer relationship, in particular because of, of EV adoption. Yeah, well, first, the advent of EVs uh, may enable utilities to grow again. The current year-over-year -year electricity consumption growth is, is, some, is less than 1% in North America. But that's down from 2.5% in the 1990s. But uh, and incredibly, in the 50s and 60s, the, um, the growth was 8 to 10% a year on average, 8 to 10% per year. So that's uh, and uh, you know there was a wave of electrification you know in the 50s and 60s and population increasing rapidly. So building and growing the grid is is really business as usual for for utilities and uh, the EVs as well as um, space heating may in fact be kind of a return to normal for um, for utilities. Normal being what it was you know. Uh, a few decades ago. So uh, 
EVs will contribute to that, you know, perhaps a percent or two percent per year of growth, which is not negligible, but it's something that can be managed given the past growth rate. Uh, again, it's more of an opportunity than, uh, uh, than, than a problem. And by the 2030, we'll also see more uh, utilities becoming winter peaking rather than summer peaking. That, you know, that winter peaking utilities will kind of move south uh, in North America. And the reason is that uh, with uh, more and more distributed solar, there'll be a lot of generation during the days, especially in the summer, less so in the winter. More space heating will be in the, in the winter. Uh, EV driving is less efficient in the winter. So we'll have a, a shift toward winter peaking in utilities. Uh, but, but that's actually great for, um, it'd be great for utilities to have EVs on their grid at that time, because one key aspect of EV charging is that it's very flexible. Now the modern cars have, you know, 250 miles, 300 miles of range now. Uh, that's quite a bit. It's, it's, it's much more than needed on a daily basis, meaning that People don't really care when their car gets charged. It's very flexible. And the flexibility of the EV charging load will become an important tool for grids to uh, balance the grid. Well, Ben, it's been a fascinating conversation on a great topic for utilities. Thank you for taking time to speak with Matt and me. Uh, ben Marcoux can be found on the Energy Central platform at energycentral.com where he invites your questions, comments, and insights into these and other topics. And on behalf of my colleague, Matt Chester, and everyone at Energy Central, I'm D.W. Kiefer, thanking you for listening to the Power Perspectives podcast. Look for other podcasts, newsletters, and power sector commentary at Energy Central. We'll see you next time.